welcome to Maiden Speech. My name is Monica Ferguson, portrait photographer and self-love advocate from New Zealand. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to uplift and empower you. Thanks for hanging out. Now let's get into it. Good morning, friends, and welcome along. My guest this morning is on a mission to ensure that all children can approach food from a place of safety and joy, not fear. She works with individual families, runs workshops for parents and groups, writes for Teachers Matter and Kiwi Families, and is about to publish a guide. The practical guide to confident eating will take any parent through gentle steps towards adding variety into their child's diet, and it works for adults too. So hey, hey, Judith, thanks so much for being here. Hi, hi, Mika. It's fabulous to, to, for you to invite me on. I feel very excited to be here. Oh, me So I'm so excited to pick your brain about all of this stuff because your approach to food is really the future. And actually, I feel instant relief when you start talking about having joy around food and it's like the weight of the world comes off. So how did this all start for you? Have you always had an interest in food and kids? And yeah, where did it all begin? Well, my mum was a bit of a health nut which back in the day was a bit unusual because, you know, we were all sort of white bread sandwiches and stuff, um, except for in our house, where I had the lumpy homemade bread. And not only did I have the lumpy homemade bread, but because she was busy at work, she used to make the sandwiches on a Sunday and put them in the freezer and then take them out during the week. And, And as a kid, you know, sometimes all of this was a bit challenging, but what it it really taught me was just an appreciation of, you know, good food and good home cooked food. And to balance that out, I had a dad who just loved food, like loved food and talked <laughs> yeah. about food. And even now, and he's almost 80, we'll be on an international phone call and he'll go, we had a fabulous lunch today. And I'll go, <laughs> Love it. And no, they haven't been to a cafe. No, they haven't had anything gourmet. They've just had their regular sandwiches. But he's just so excited about food. So I had those two influences, which has always made me really passionate about food and really interested in food. And so when I had children, it seemed really natural for me to want to make sure that they had an interest in food and the excitement around food, that food was pleasurable, but also that I was really thinking about what went into their bodies because, you know, I realised very early on that for me, what I ate had a real impact on how I felt. And so when I've got these two little humans that I'm responsible for, it just seemed natural that I would also want them to feel the best that they could feel. Totally. Yeah. Do you have two boys? Yeah, I've got two boys. I've got two boys. Two boys, yeah. So do you think there's a difference between boys and girls and the way that you would approach this sort of thing? Or is it kind of everyone's the same? You know what? I think food's very much horses for courses and family for family. So I do think that there are differences across families and across individual people. However, there are some overriding sort of principles that would work for everybody. Yeah, got it. By the way, I love that saying that's so English. I might have to write down a few of these as we go. (laughs) Yeah, you'll hear a few of those. But anyway. (laughs) I might have to translate them later on, but that's all good. So, okay. So if we break it down, 
where do you think we are going wrong? Like, if you actually look at our culture and our society, what do you think about how we're eating and how we're feeding our children and how even how the adults are treating food and mindset and, and all that sort of thing? Because I know right at the start when I first met you, I was particularly interested from the the point of view of my clients and that weight and being overweight and feeling not good enough and even people that come in who are size six still stand there and tell me that oh I'm too fat and my legs and my bum and all that and it's like it seems like it's a massive massive thing in our culture and our society and so this is a huge question for you but like how do you what's your interpretation on how we are doing food and how our culture is really Oh, look, we could talk for hours on this, obviously. <laughs> but look, if I had to bring it back to a few sort of core principles that I think make food much easier for people and they make food much more fun for people. And really those two things, getting pleasure from food and making it easy, tick most people's boxes, is that it's bringing back food to that family and to that social aspect. So in our modern world, everyone's busy, everyone's doing this, they're doing that. You know, a lot of people are eating separately. A lot of people are having grab-and-go food. And what I always want to put across to the families I work with is that food is about pleasure. It's about family and in, in it is very family centered and the, the more we bring food back into that sphere and when we're talking family we're not talking you know the Brady Bunch and having nine people around the table every night a family meal is one parent and one child and obviously if you're not if there's just two of you then it's just the two of you that's you, your family meal and I think that if we can put the family back into food that makes a huge difference. If we can then take a lot of the pressure away from food and instead of having a thousand food rules, we have, well, you know what, let's, let's try and cook at home when we can cook at home. I think it was Michael Pollan who said that, who did a, a study of cultures all around the world and found that the people who had the most balanced approach to food and that had sort of long-term you know, fairly balanced weight and health were those that had the most home-cooked meals. And it didn't really matter so much with the what, it was that you had those home-cooked meals. And so for me, that's very much my philosophy. Cook at home when you can, have that family meal, and have that, that joy and that pleasure in just sitting and, sh and breaking bread together. That makes sense. That does make sense because, I mean, I've got so many questions for you, but one of them was definitely what to eat and how. And because we are inundated with all this different information and it's quite overwhelming to even know where to begin, you know. And so it's like, okay, is it actually just the act of being mindful? Because if you're sitting down at a, at a table with your family, you're eating slowly, you're eating consciously, you're not just watching TV and just eating without even thinking. Is that what makes a difference? That's one of the things that makes a huge difference because we all know we can sit on the couch with a bucket of popcorn or a packet of biscuits or whatever our poison is, and we can yeah. mow our way through something <laughs> yeah. and not even realize we've eaten it because, as you say, we're not eating it mindfully. Whereas when we sit at the table, we look at our food, we appreciate it, and we eat it mindfully, then 
that's a really different sort of thing. And I think it also, you know, if we are eating mindlessly, we're not necessarily activating the cues in our body that says, right, right, I've eaten, I've had enough, I'm happy, I'm sated, next, move on. Right. So is there, when you work with your families, is there quite a bit of um, sort of intuitive eating and things that kick in and less of a reliance on? Because I know, I think the diet stuff has confused so many things where it's like, you have to measure this and weigh this. And it's like, but you then stop listening to what your body actually wants. So is there, is that a big aspect to what you do? Absolutely. Because children, even as young as two, have an, have an innate ability to gauge their appetite and what they should be eating. And I know that's a really scary thought for a lot of people, but actually kids are really good at figuring out their energy needs. Um, And if we let them do that, it's really, really interesting what happens. So with my boys, they've been determining their portion sizes for years. And what fascinates me is that as adults, we've often – overridden those cues so for example we sit down with her for our chicken dinner and we we have the chicken so we have this much chicken and we have this many potatoes and we have this many vegetables and really it doesn't matter what we've done during the day and it doesn't matter how hungry we are or whatever if we have that chicken dish we have pretty much the same portion whereas my boys one day they'll have this huge heaping plate and I'll think oh, my God, that's gross. Uh, And they'll eat it all and they'll be quite happy. And the next day they'll have a really small plate and I'll say, have you had enough? And they'll go, yeah, I'm just not really that hungry today. Or they'll eat a really big lunch and then not want a big dinner or vice versa. And so it's really interesting when I watch what they eat because the quantity that they eat actually does go up and down across days and across meals. And really – If we think about it logically, on a day when you've been to the gym in the morning and you've had a really busy day at the office, you might be that much more hungry than a day when you've sat on the couch and done Netflix. So really, that to me seems sensible and seems logical. But what I think we do as parents is we get in the way of that relationship because we're told, well, your child has to have this amount and they should be eating this and they should be eating that. And suddenly we go, oh my God, I've got to control this. When in actual fact, putting a lot of that responsibility back onto our children within really, obviously within guidelines and within parameters is actually really, really empowering for them. And long-term, I think works really, really well. Yes, it totally makes sense. It's so interesting how everything connects back together as well. Because I, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Jess Stewart and we were talking about imposter syndrome. But one of the things that I loved that she talked about was understanding the magnificence within us all. And it's almost like, like recognizing the fact that we all have this inherent ability to know what's best for us. But it seems like we totally get in the way of that. And I know for myself and getting into the kind of diet world, that's exactly what happens. So yep. you're forcing down breakfast because someone tells you you should eat breakfast. It's so important, even if you really don't feel like it. You're not actually hungry. And then all of a sudden you're eating because, oh, the, your trainer says you need to eat six more meals a day. And someone else says, no, you should fast until midday. And it's like all of a sudden you're not actually eating at all because you're hungry. And you're not even aware of what your body's actually asking for. You're eating because someone told you to eat this or that. So how do you think? If you're a little kid and 
a normal kid and you're, you're raised in a normal family and you're fed this way, where you're served a portion and you're expected to eat the whole plate, how does that then impact the way that you eat as an adult? Well, I, th- that's a really good one because I can use myself as a really good example. My parents, one of the big things, because they, they were brought up during World War II in the UK. So, of mm-hmm. course, they went through shortages and all of this sort of stuff. And it's really colored the way that they approach a lot of the things in their life because they went through in their first years, you know, there was rationing and, it, and, and things were in short supply and all this yeah. sort of stuff. So, for them, leaving anything on your plate, even like a little bit of gristle is just, it's just so counter to what they believe. So for me, even now, I find it really, really challenging to leave something on my plate. And if I go to a restaurant and I pay for it, then even if I don't like it, I still want to plow through it because I feel like I've paid for it to eat it. So, you know, that's really affected me. And so I've done this differently with my children. I, I don't like food wastage. It does, it does my head in. It's one of my things, and I'll, I'll be honest about that. But what I let them do is I let them serve themselves so that what goes on their plate, I like to be eaten, but they don't have to eat a specific portion size, if that makes sense. Yeah. Totally. So is it better to have to actually take a smaller portion first and then add more if you need to? Absolutely. Because there's all the psychology, all these little tips that you hear about. You should serve yourself on a tiny plate and like experiments where people are blindfolded and they eat half as much when you can't actually see it. And I definitely, I mean, people always saying that like, oh, you know, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. And it is interesting to think if we actually weren't looking at food, would we eat a lot less if we didn't have this idea in our minds of how much we should be eating. I don't know. <laughs> and you know what? There's also studies that show that people don't eat less if you put it on a smaller plate. So I think, you know, you can prove things one way or another depending on what your bent is. I mean, for me, I think that people picking how much they want to eat is really, really empowering. And having somebody else decide a portion size is really, really, uh, it can be really uncomfortable. And I don't want to go to somebody else's house and they decide how much meat I'm having and how many potatoes and how many vegetables. That would be, for me, that wouldn't make me feel comfortable. Whereas if somebody says, look, would you like to serve yourself some meat? Would you like to grab some of this and some of that? That's a far more comfortable way to eat. Yes. And yet, but yet... We don't tend to do that with children. We say, this is what you're eating. Yes, right. Yeah, okay. So what's a typical client like for you? Like what's your average kind of person that comes to you and what kind of issues do they have and how do you help? Like, where would you begin with that? Well, again, there's sort of as, I guess there's, there are as many, there's as many variations as there are families because every family is different and every child's different. Yeah. A lot of the children I work with have real challenges um, being comfortable around food and they have quite limited diets and quite rigid restrictions around food. So, for example, you know, they may eat ch- chicken nuggets, but it's got to be a particular brand or they've got to be cooked a certain way. And if they're too brown, then they won't be accepted. And so a lot of the children I work with just have a real issue moving away from 
you know, the narrow diet that they're, they're on at the moment. And so for me, I want to put the joy back into food for the whole family because often what happens is if you have a child that's really struggling to eat, it really gets in the way of all those pleasurable dynamics around food. And what happens is that the parents lose confidence that their child can eat more widely. So then the child is less confident that they can eat more widely. And suddenly you've got a situation where nobody's comfortable around food. No one's looking forward to food. And long-term, that's not a positive thing for anybody. Yes, totally. So what's the um, the craziest transformation or the, the biggest, one of the, the most proud moments you've had in your business so far? I've got a favorite story and I tell everyone this story because I just love it. <laughs> I, had a little, I had a little boy who was phobic about green. So he wouldn't have anything green on the table, even yep. if he didn't eat it, wasn't allowed to be on the table. Wouldn't sit in the supermarket trolley when he was little because his fingers were too close to the lettuce. And, um, <laughs> and, and so my philosophy is that when we have something like this, suddenly it becomes a huge thing for us as parents. And, and so, again, we sort of put ourselves in the middle of an equation where we don't necessarily need to be. And so about a month after I worked with his parents, his mum took him out to a cafe and the waiter brought over a pastry he'd ordered and it had these little green herby flecks in it. Now, normally his mum would have gone, oh my God, green, you know, call the waiter over. Got, got the waiter to take the pastry away and, and everything else and, and brought something else. And this time she didn't. And she sort of ignored what had happened on his plate, kept eating, kept talking, and he ate the pastry. And <laughs> she couldn't believe it that he'd eaten it because it, it had these visible green flecks in it. Now, 99 times out of 100, he might have had a tanty and he might have had a meltdown in the wet restaurant. But if she'd have said, oh, no, you have to change this, he would never have had that opportunity to eat it. And yeah. that, for me, is a huge lesson for all of us that we so often prejudge, preempt, and we stop something that might happen. And it, it might not, but it might happen. And we, and we sort of, we say no, and that's not our job. Mm. Anyway, sure. this little boy, this little boy now three years on, is asking for extra lettuce to put in his burger. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, amazing. So, okay, so do you think that often it is the parents that, I mean, obviously you can't probably say this to them directly, maybe you can, but is it the parents that actually create a lot of the issues based on the way they react to things like that? I'm going to say yes or no. In my experience, there are a lot of children who are predestined to be more selective than other children. So I have a lot of families I work with where there's three children, two of them eat perfectly normally, one of them only eats crackers on a blue plate. And that is really normal. I have mothers who tell me that even as a baby, their, their, their child would cry and not accept a bottle with a different formula in it. So that's not something that the parents have done. That's just the way the child is. What then happens is because something that should be so, you know, that, that, that's purported to be so natural and organic and everything else, feeding your child goes wrong, suddenly as parents, we then lose our confidence and we, 
we behave differently because we're just trying to do the best that we can do given a really difficult situation. And so what I find is that it's really easy to point fingers and go, oh, well, the child only eats nuggets. Well, if the mum didn't give him nuggets, then, you know, he'd eat something different. But if you've got a child that is really anxious around food and will refuse one meal, two meals, then it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly logical to say, well, I know he's going to eat the nuggets. I need him to eat because he hasn't eaten. So I'm going to give him the nugget. And I find that parents, actually the ones that have the really selective eaters actually work probably twice as hard as the average parent around food because it is such a concern for them and because they just so desperately want to get it right. But it's like everything else. You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And so often if we change that approach, as with the little child with the the green flecks in the pastry, if we change our approach, we can support our child in a different way. But this is not knowledge that is readily available. This is not something that everybody knows. This is not something that we're all taught. Like in lots of other aspects of parenting, we just make it up as we go along. Yeah, totally. So how do you actually put joy back into food? (laughs) A lot of it's it's just about that approach. If I'm the mum and I'm coming to the table and I've got the food and my look goes, my child's going to hate this, it's going to be miserable, she's going to be fighting me, then really that's a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'm the parent and I'm in charge of atmosphere. So that's one little uh, I guess that's that's just one little snippet of something that I can use as an example where you can say, oh, yeah, I get that. And so it's taking all of those actions that we do on a daily basis and just changing our approach, making our approach more positive, more confident, and changing the dynamics around food, not just for our child, but for our whole family. Because often, if we do have a selective eater, it's affected the whole family. And the whole family suddenly starts behaving differently around food. So we have to change that. Yeah, totally. So what do you say to people that are, I mean, everyone's busy these days, right? So what do you say to people, obviously, eating at home, cooking as much as you can? And I know for me, you know, going out and, okay, one week you're told to do this and that. So kind of getting clear in your head of what am I actually meant to be eating? Should I be eating this? Should I be eating that? How important is what you eat as opposed to the way that you feel that the mindfulness, the being around family, all of that sort of thing? How does that all sort of come into it? You know, I, I really, I don't really tell people what to eat. I yeah. help them with the dynamics around food. And what I would normally do is take what a family normally eats and say, right, how do we go from where you are now and How do we encourage your selective child to be eating more of what you're eating? So it's not about saying, well, you have to eat this and you have to eat that. But there are points where I'll say, well, what are the things that you want your child to eat more of? And, you know, generally that's fruit and vegetables. And if that's the case, then I say, well, the way to eat more fruit and vegetables is to have more fruit and vegetables available. Yeah, true. Okay. I love that. So it's just so simple, isn't it? And I'm like, I'm waiting for a catch. And I'm like, but there isn't one. It's actually just stripping it back to basics. Like, <laughs> like actually eating 
eating real food, listening to your body, not stressing out about it, taking some of the pressure off. Absolutely. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. That's what I mean. It's honestly like the weight of the world comes off because it's like, it, it makes sense. But I guess with, you know, the diet industry and all these people that are selling products, there is no money in us listening to our bodies, only eating as much as we need, preparing our own food. No one makes money off that. So that's why all these other things get in our heads and confuse us. Like, <laughs> well, and, and of course, if you've got a child that's really struggling to eat and you throw that into the middle of it and they're saying, well, I can only have this and I can only have it cooked like that, then that yeah. throws off again and makes it even more challenging. And suddenly we go, well, what do I do? Yeah. Man, it must be so stressful to be a parent in general, but to be a parent in that scenario, because I mean, as one person looking after myself, like I know how confusing things get. And literally in one day, you can hear nine or 10 different messages and yeah, about control restricts, remove this completely. And it's extreme, some of it. And it's, yeah, this just makes total sense to me. And what's interesting is that Everyone that I've spoken to on this podcast so far is saying the same thing around mindfulness. And it's like that is at the core of everything, isn't it? Actually trusting yourself and relying on your own ability to know what's best for you. Amazing. In all aspects of life. So interesting. (laughs) And and actually, things shouldn't be complicated. It's not complicated. No, exactly. Okay, so... What is the biggest thing that everyone could do that would help their relationship with food? What's the one biggest thing you wish people were doing? I think just cooking more of your own meals. Honestly, if, if I had to do one, I'd just say cook more, of, of, uh, cook more food and if you can, share it with other people. Yeah, back to basics. So community stuff, really? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, don't, don't sit front of the tv you know sit at the table or have some music on and you know what and just make that meal an anchor point in your day my family meal for me is one of the is always one of the most you know the best parts of my day it's the only time when the four of us are together there's no there's no media there's no i'm not thinking about the laundry or you know or work or anything else we're just hanging out is it always you know pleasant no I've got two boys, but you know, it, it, it is an anchor point in all of our days. And there are times when our family meal is just such a fabulous place to be because we're laughing and we're talking and we're having great conversations. That's what yeah. it's about. I love hey, 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 Hang on. It doesn't have to be hours and hours. You know, some of our family meals might be 15 minutes, but it's a really important 15 minutes. And any everybody, every family has 15 minutes and it might not be all the family every night and that's okay too uh but when we can do it we schedule it in yeah so what does your lifestyle look like in terms of how much time you actually commit to planning your meals and shopping and preparing food and that sort of thing you know what i'm not a good example because i love food and i i hate (laughs) shopping i you know if i had to go if i had to go around and shop for shoes and clothes and things i'd just be so miserable but i could spend (laughs) Oh, I could spend a whole morning going from one food shop to another food shop. Uh, I mean, my routine's really simple. I do the markets and get all my fruit and vegetables from the markets once a week. And then I do a, a, um, an organics order for my dry goods once every six weeks. And then I pick up odd bits and pieces in the supermarket. I have my raw milk delivered 
in a big pail once a week. And then we do make a lot of things from scratch, but, and that sounds like awfully time consuming, but actually I think if you get into routines, it's actually not that time consuming. So for example, dried chickpeas, I just put them in a pan of water and just leave them overnight. And the next morning I cook them for half an hour and they're done. Yeah. And I, I have them cooking while I'm doing breakfasts and, you know, cleaning up the kitchen and everything else, and then they're just done. So for me, it's just part of my routines, and so I don't feel that it actually takes me a long time. Yeah. So with when you're working with families, is there a bit of actually teaching people how to cook? Do people know how to cook anymore? There are a lot of people who tell me that they hate cooking and that it's a chore for them and that they're not a good cook. And that's a real worry for them. And again, it's where uh, we have to meet people where they're at. And if you're not into cooking and if you don't, you know, if if cooking's not your thing, that's okay. If your meal is going to be fish fingers and some frozen peas and some, you know, some fries that have come out of a bag and you whack in the oven, that's okay. Yeah. Mm, Okay. Wow. That's still, that's still that's still cooking at home and that's still sharing food with your family. And it, yeah. and it takes you, what, 15 minutes max to do all of that? Yes. Okay, cool. Wow. Okay. So with your business and all the work that you're doing, what is your BHAG, you know, your big, hairy, audacious goal? What I would love to do is to have every child able to approach food from a place of safety and joy, not fear. It's a huge one for me. Yeah. And, and I used to feel that I, I had to do it through, you know, a million average parents. And now I realize that in working with the kids who are really super selective, those are little tiny miracles that are sort of getting that on its way. But I'm in the middle of writing a book and, well, I've almost finished actually. And um, hopefully, that's a lot of my food philosophy and it's the how, not the what. So it's not a book telling you what to eat. It's a, a book telling you how to gently increase variety for a child. But to be honest with you, the philosophy works just as well for young adults or even for adults. You know, the philosophy is the same. If you want to gently add variety, then there's there are ways that we can do that. And I guess that's the one thing that's missing. Um from you know from adults and things like that it's all about drastic isn't it cut this do this but actually that's why no diets or anything work because it's not something that you've gently increased and it's also I feel like often coming from a place of I'm not good enough that's why I have to do this I don't accept myself as I am that's why I have to do this not actually I have big goals and I really want a lot of energy and so I deserve to eat well and I deserve to actually have a healthy body and a, and a positive mindset and good mental health. Absolutely. You, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, diets don't work because it is by nature restrictive and it is by nature a time period, whereas what we want to do is we need to say we want food to be pleasurable and we want food to be balanced and we want food to be nurturing. And how do we achieve that? And Often that's in taking little steps each week that just gently change our habits because habits are super, super powerful. And so we just say, well, what's the the habit we're going to tackle this week? And we just make that little change. And then the next week we make another little change. 
I love that so much. Super simple, super easy from a place of joy, not fear. Love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so where can we find and support you? To contact me personally, Judith at theconfidenteater.com. And the website is The Confident Eater because confidence around food is everything for both parent and child. And if you keep your eye on the Facebook page, then we will be talking lots about the book, which is hopefully due out at the end of the month. So exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to read that one. So my final question for you, if you could go back and tell 15-year-old Judith one thing, what would it be? Life is going to be great. I love that amazing awesome well thank you so much that was i feel much better already thanks for that (laughs) no i really appreciate you having you having me on and it's been lovely to chat thank you monica and, and thanks to anybody who's listening awesome yeah such an important message that you have and such a different message and it's so refreshing to hear it's just yeah super super enlightening so i appreciate your time so much and um i will catch up with you soon my friend all right take care thanks monica 